You want to believe it. You want to believe that Jesus is alive. But you know, some people aren't really open with their heart or their spirit. Uh, they approach things from a much more of an academic or a, a, a mental approach. And I am going to address that later on as well. I'm going to talk to your mind a bit later on. If you need a rational reason, that's okay. Because in about 20, 10 minutes time, I'm going to address some of the points of that. But really what I want to do is talk to your heart because I know that it's the heart where God really works in people's lives first and then the mind can come later. But Pilate the governor had an annual practice that he would release to the people a prisoner of their choosing every year at the time of the Passover. And so it was at the time when Jesus was being interrogated and, and really tortured and so um, there he was in in, in captivity and, and there was one other prisoner there who was a notorious rebel who'd committed murder in some insurrection and so Pilate said to the people well you know who do you want me to be released to, to release to you and the, the name of the other prisoner was uh, Barabbas a guy called Barabbas and so they cried out we want Barabbas to be released you know and so eventually Pilate tried repeatedly to change that and to, to release Jesus he knew that Jesus was completely and utterly innocent of anything and so uh, in the end he had to give in to the will of the people and uh, he released Barabbas the murderer to them but he said to the crowd well what do I do with this Jesus what do I do with Jesus and I think it's a question that we have to face up to today every one of us what will I do with Jesus Christ today what decision am I going to make about Jesus? Am I going to see him as the son of God who died on the cross for my sin so that I could enter into a relationship with God? Or am I just going to see him as some historical figure that lived and died and, and that's the end of the story and doesn't really affect my life? I want to tell you, he'll affect your life one way or another. Because the Bible says the day is coming when every knee, every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I want you to be able to say that with joy. I want you to be able to say that with confidence and with boldness and say, Lord, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I thank you that you can welcome me into your kingdom right now. So uh, what will I do with Jesus? So, you know, we're talking about the Jesus who calms storms with his word. We're talking about the Jesus who, who feeds multitudes by, by just taking a small amount of food and distributing it amongst people and, and praying over it. The Jesus who lays his hand on lepers and they're healed. We're talking about the Jesus who, who stands in front of a cave where they just a, a few days earlier had buried a guy and uh, he stands there and, and, and commands him to come out and he does. He comes out. That's the kind of Jesus we're talking about today. I'm asking you, what will you do with Jesus today? So there are a couple of fundamental truths or two truths of Christianity that really stand out that I want to share with you today. And you know these things already, but it's just useful for us to go over them and review them again today. Number one, that Jesus Christ died upon a cross to pay the penalty for the sin of the whole world. He died upon a Roman cross. Now you can, you can verify the fact of this. It's not hard because even secular historians completely agree that a, a religious figure called Jesus, who lived in Nazareth, was, um, was born in Bethlehem uh, in Judea, died and was crucified on a Roman cross around about 30 AD, 33 AD. Uh, the date's a little bit fuzzy, but... Uh, everyone agrees that that actually happened uh, on, on that occasion. 
The question, of course, that's much more interesting and much more relevant and goes to the core of it is, why did he die? And what really happened after that? So that's really where I, I, I want us to focus on today. But Jesus' death was gruesome. Uh, it was, in fact, it was so painful on the cross that they had to invent a new word for it. You've heard the word excruciating. It means, in, in Latin, it means ex, out of, and out of the cross. It means the kind of pain that comes out of being crucified on a cross. But Jesus' own last words from the cross where he said, he didn't say, he cried out these words. He said, it is finished. It is finished. Show us that Jesus himself didn't see this as a defeat in any way. He saw it as an incredible accomplishment, that something was finished. The plan and the purpose of God was comprehensively fulfilled. A divine substitution had taken place, his life for mine, his life for yours. Jesus made that cry upon the cross. It is absolutely and utterly finished. And the simple fact, friend, is that you and I have sinned before God and we can't arrange or we can't procure we can't uh, find forgiveness ourselves. you can't grant yourself forgiveness only God can forgive you and so when Jesus died upon the cross his pardon pardon for your sins came as a result of his sacrifice it wasn't the nails that held him on the cross it was your sin and my sin until the full penalty was paid for that sin. So the truth is, this truth that Jesus died in my place and that I don't need to pay, that God is not coming one day to collect, that God is not angry with me and he's not angry with you, that I don't somehow need to appease God. Do you know what? That sets Christianity apart from every other religion on the face of this earth. Because every other religious belief uh, or every other you know, religious system on the face of the earth says you've got to do something to appease whatever their God is. You've got to pay penance. You've got to give money. You've got to serve him. You've got to follow the rules. You've got to do the stuff. You've got to live in a cave on a mountain. You know, you've got to wear a certain color clothes or, or in some cases even certain kind of underwear. You know, there's kind of all kinds of weird ideas that are out there. But in every case, there's always something you've got to do to appease who or whatever you believe is God. I want to tell you, Christianity is completely different to all of that. And it's the only thing it's in a class of its own because God himself did everything necessary so that you could be forgiven of your sin. And I think we ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. Because that's a fantastic thing. So it's a bold claim. It's a very bold claim that God himself did everything needed so that we could come into relationship with him. And it's a divine truth that will set you free if you only believe in it. And my message today is really to help you believe in Jesus. When you start believing in him, something powerful happens on the inside of your life. You might say, I'm not sure if I believe or not. Wait till I get through this message. And I'm going to ask you that question again at the very end. Another very bold claim that Christianity makes is that after Jesus died, three days he was in the grave. And then after that, he was crucified. If you're wondering why we, we have Good Friday and then Sunday, Easter Sunday, and you know it says on the first day of the week Jesus rose. You ever wondered about that? 
I don't want to go into it right now, but actually he was crucified on a Wednesday afternoon, just so you know, and there was Thursday was a special Sabbath. You know, but oh, let's, not, let's not go into that right now. But the three days is absolutely real. He was in the ground, he was in the grave for three days. There is no doubt about that. Friday is, is not in the Bible, okay? That's just, a, that's just our, our tradition because it's kind of easy to have a long weekend. That's what, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Okay, Jesus was crucified, and three days after, he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. This is so significant. It's so significant that Jesus was raised from the dead because it means that there's hope for you and me. It means that whatever deadness there is in your life, and I think uh, you know, Emma referred to it, Neil referred to it, whatever, whatever's happening in your life, whatever, whatever prison you feel caught up in right now, it means that there is hope for you because God himself, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is alive right now in the presence of God, acting on your behalf as an intercessor for you. You know, the Christian faith is so much more than just a set of rules and practices that we have to adhere to. It's a relationship with a living God. I know that is so powerful and so relevant. So when Jesus rose from the grave, it was a resurrection that declared him victor over humanity's most unsolvable problem. Jesus rose victorious over the deepest problem of humanity, and I have to tell you right now, because we've got an election coming up, it's not climate change. And it's not even balancing the national budget. Humanity's deepest and most profound and unsolvable problem is the fact that one day you and I will die. It's a problem that no one's ever been able to solve. There are people working on it, thousands of people around the world working on this all the time. But the fact is the clock is ticking on your life from the moment you are born and no one has ever yet been able to stop it. That's the deepest problem that humanity has. Jesus rose from the grave proving he is absolutely victorious over that problem. And in case you're still wondering, did Jesus really rise again? Maybe there's a little bit of a doubt in your mind. Then I'm going to look today at what some of the witnesses had to say uh, about the resurrection of Jesus. And this is, this is the word from, from Luke, um, who was not one of Jesus' 12 uh, disciples, but he came afterwards. But he was a, a doctor, a medical doctor who interviewed eyewitnesses. And his own words carefully investigated all of the accounts from those who had written about the life of Jesus. And he came to the absolute conclusion that Jesus had risen from the dead. In fact, so convinced was Luke about the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead that he gave away his medical practice and became a church planter. He was so convinced of the reality of the life of Jesus Christ. He'd seen so much. He could never be convinced otherwise. It's one of the things that happens, you know, when you've seen the power of God at work. It's like you get spoiled for anything else. You know, someone said years ago, when you've, when you've been in the fire, you can't stand the smoke. You want the real deal. And Luke said these words. He said, well, actually, he reported the words of the angels who stood there, uh, you know, beside the tomb when Jesus was raised. And these angels said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery he is not here, but raised up. The Son of God is not here anymore. He's been raised from the dead. Luke was convinced Jesus was alive. 
How about the testimony of John, one of Jesus' closest disciples? And he wrote extensively about the interactions that Jesus had with his followers after he was raised from the dead. And uh, it's interesting because there's a story in John chapter 20, the last chapter of John. And it's about one of Jesus' uh, 12 disciples called Thomas. And Thomas is a guy we, that's where the term doubting Thomas comes from, okay? And so Thomas was... Um, Thomas was not there when Jesus came and appeared to all the disciples. It says Thomas was not there that day and Jesus appeared. It's what happens when you miss a meeting. Jesus shows up. How would you feel? You know, you miss church that day and Jesus showed up that day. He must have felt pretty gutted. Anyway, so what happened is he got with the disciples later on and they told him, they told Thomas, Thomas, you missed the meeting. And Jesus came and showed us himself. And Thomas said, I don't really believe that. I'm not going to believe that yet. I'm not going to believe it till I get my finger and put it into the nail prints in his hands. Until I thrust my fist into the, the hole, the wound in his side, I'm not going to believe. Well, you know what happened? It was about a week later and they're all together and Thomas was with them this time. And it says that Jesus came and appeared right there in the middle of them. And he said to them, peace, because they were pretty freaked out, as you can imagine. And he his first words, peace, just peace be unto you, you know, peace be to you. And it says that he's fixed his gaze upon Thomas. And he said, Thomas, just take your finger and stick it right in this hole here in my hand. Take your hand and stick it in my side and don't be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas cries out, you know, my master and my God. So I, I just... I think, you know, Jesus was not embarrassed about anything here. And he is the son of God. He wanted his disciples to be believing. And he wants you to be believing today. And so John writes just after this, he says, Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. And these are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And in the act of believing have real and eternal life. You know, when, when you say to yourself, when you make the decision and say, I'm going to start believing this stuff, that's when faith, when that faith rises up in your heart, that's when you start to enter into the supernatural realm because everything happens through faith in the kingdom of God. So here's, just for a few moments, I'm going to talk to your mind. I've been talking to your heart up to this point, but I'm going to talk to your mind for a bit because a lot of people... They need to have a rational explanation, and they're more wired up that way. And that's okay. I'm, I'm like that myself, you know. But here's, a, here's, a, here's some of the proofs of the resurrection. These are insurmountable obstacles for skeptics that, don't, that, that, that really have no answer for these things. Number one, if the resurrection of Jesus was just a myth designed to give the disciples some ongoing advantage. And that's what they say. They, meaning those who don't want to believe the resurrection, they say, well, the disciples just made this up so that they could, you know, propagate the teachings of Jesus. If that's what it was, if, that's, if it was just a, if it was a myth or a story that the 12 disciples had made up, how come in the thousands of manuscripts copied in the early years after Jesus died, of the, of the writings of the, of the disciples and the, and the early uh, disciples of the church, there's not one shred of disagreement on this point that Jesus died and, and, and rose again. There's in, in all the manuscripts that were copied from person to person to person, there's no disagreement on this fact that Jesus rose again. Now, here's the, here's the point. If you're lying about something, 
one of the trickiest things about lying is you've got to maintain the same story. Is that right? Nobody's nodding. <laughs> now, I don't know this either. I, I don't really know this either. <laughs> but I've heard someone told me, okay? Someone told me when you make up a story, you know, and, it's, and you're lying about something, the hardest part is maintaining the story. It's why in courts of law, when they interrogate people from different angles and different witnesses, what they're trying to do is corroborate the story. And what happens is eventually people break down, they crack, and they say, eventually, oh, I'm sorry, this is the real truth. They blurt it out in the end. The truth always comes out. Is that right? Parents, if you've got kids, you know that the truth will always come out. Did you take the lollies from the... No, no, no. No, no, well, well, maybe, well, maybe, well. The truth always comes out. What's that red mark around your lips? Well, that's, I don't know. The truth will always come out. And in the thousands of manuscripts copied, not one of them disagrees the fact that Jesus Christ rose again. It's because people had seen him. They had touched him. They had experienced his power And even those who came later, like the Apostle Paul, saw a vision of him, but their lives had been transformed by knowing him. That's the first thing. Second thing, how come there's such an extraordinary silence about what, if if Jesus had never uh, risen from the grave, okay, how come there was such an incredible silence about what must have been an amazingly sacred place if he was buried somewhere like, if they took him from the tomb and then buried him in a secret location, how come no one's ever talked about the location? Because it would be an absolutely sacred site for Christian people today, right? No one's ever talked about it because it doesn't exist. There is no such place. Jesus is not buried somewhere in the back streets of Jerusalem. He's not. He's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father. That's very significant. So third thing, all of the Gospels report that it was the women who arrived first where Jesus had been buried before he rose again and also after he rose again. All the Gospels report that. Now, it completely torpedoes the idea that the resurrection was made up by the disciples. And the reason is because women, I'm sorry to say this, ladies, but women had such a low place in in the society of the day here. They were not allowed to act as witnesses in a court of law in this day, in this generation. And so the early disciples, they would never have recorded, oh, the women saw him first and then came. They would never have recorded that if it wasn't true. But it's absolutely true. They recorded it because Jesus rose from the grave, recorded by all the women first when they saw it. What an amazing thing. Fourthly, the single greatest fact that supports the Bible record and if this was, were a fabrication, if the idea that Jesus rose from the grave were a made-up story, the disciples all would have known about it, right? How come every one of them was willing to die for that belief? In fact, in the next 60 years, all of Jesus' closest followers and many others who knew him personally would lay down their lives to support the fact that Jesus is alive and was now seated at the right hand of the Father. They would never have done that if it was a fabrication because someone would have cracked. Would you agree? They all laid down their lives for it. 
And I just want to say today, friends, there's an incredible power in believing what the Bible says about the life, death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So when Pilate asked his question, what will you do with Jesus? It begs a second question. And the second question goes like this. What will I do with the amazing evidence of the fact that Jesus Christ is alive right now? What will I do with that evidence? Jesus rose from the dead. You know, if he'd never risen from the dead, he still had a remarkable life. But if his end was like every other human being that ever lived, and he died and was in the grave, then really, you know, you wouldn't, faith in him at the level we have would, would be foolish, correct? If his end was like every other person, you wouldn't give your life to die for Jesus. But ha- how about this? If Jesus did rise from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and proving that he is alive today and standing you know, in the presence of God on your behalf, then what that means is that his life and mission become the most significant events of all human history. That's, that's, the, that's the reality. That's what happens. And it would be foolish under those circumstances not to believe in him. If Jesus is right now alive and seated in the presence of God, it would be foolish not to believe in him. So I ask you and I challenge you, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean for me today? Well, it means this. It means that, like we sang today, he called my name and I ran out of that grave, which was my old kind of life. I ran out of that. I just, because I'm, he called my name. He's calling me to himself. He's calling you today in the same way that he's called me. It means that right now, as the Bible says, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. If you're in Christ today, if you're a follower of Jesus and you know that he's in your heart, in your life, that right now, the Bible says that you are with him. You're seated with him in heavenly places. There's a part of your life that's already connected in heaven with him already. It means that Jesus, or that God is the God of the second chances. Because Jesus rose from the grave, that, that death was, could never conquer his life. And what it means is that, is that no matter what you're going through right now, is it means that you can come back again from that, and that God can give you another start. You can have a fresh start and a fantastic future in God. It means that if you're looking at your life, if you look at your life like a timeline, like, you know, A to B to C to D is your life. And right now you're at B, okay? You're at B. So A to B looks like a train wreck for you. If that's the case, if your A to B has been a train wreck that I want to say, B to C can be fantastic. B to C can be amazing. And D and everything after that. Because you know what? When, when God comes into your life, everything changes. Everything changes. There's always hope because Jesus conquered the grave. You know, when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said these words. I love this verse. I think it's Romans 4.17, but it says, he talks about God, God who raises the dead and calls the things that are not as though they are. So if you look at your life right now and you look at the sum total of everything, and maybe someone's even said this over your life, if you come up with a big fat zero over your life right now, you're exactly the kind of person God is looking for. Because he calls the things that are nothing, he calls the things that are not as though they are something special in him. So he's calling over your name, favor and blessing and hope and joy and fulfillment and success. He is speaking that over your life right now. 
Because that's what God does. Because he wants your B to C to be filled with his glory. He wants your B to C to be filled with himself. To be filled with a fantastic future and every good thing that he's got in mind for you. And I just say today, friend, if you're struggling to see a future for yourself, why don't you just close your eyes for a moment. Just think about your own life and the things that you've heard today in this meeting. If you're struggling to see a future for yourself, maybe based on what the past has been, I want to tell you that Jesus has got a great future for you. And he's calling. He calls your name. He calls your name. He says, I want you to follow in a different path. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow into a great future. He wants to fill you with his spirit 